You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, one and all, to the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, episode 69. <laughs> I'm not making any 69 jokes. I'm not 12 years old, okay? Um, technically, I already did, but you can ignore that because it was kind of like an ironic joke about how I won't make a joke about it, so it kind of cancels its out, itself out. Anyway, we have kind of a weird uh, episode to talk about here. First off, we've got a real talk with the Pimp Cron where I discuss <laughs> for two for 20 fucking minutes, I discuss Primer. And, uh, I mean, I never thought I'd be at this place in my life. I don't know if I'm proud or sad, but I discussed Primer for 20 minutes. And what I did is I did some research on Primer. Exactly what is Primer? Why is it different than paint? Is it different from paint? And what are the ideal conditions for doing Primer? And what exactly causes some of the issues that we have, such as, like, ashy primer or the popcorn primer you know where it bubbles all up and gets crusty and all of that and you i've heard some things one way i've heard some things you don't want high humidity you don't want low humidity etc 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 and i have put all of the myths to bed because i figured out exactly what primer is how is it different from paint and um, hopefully you don't die of boredom because i really enjoyed researching it and finding out we also have a want that or want that not with the red gobbo Yep, that's the uh, Christmas-themed Grot Leader that they just recently released in November. And um, let's see if I want that or want that not. Then we have a pretty funny uh, Tesseract mailbox with Andrew from Texas. And it's a pretty darn funny story about when he lost something that was uh, very important to him. That's all I'll say. you got to listen to find out what that is. And that is about it for this show. So what have I been up to this last week? Well... I got to play lots of Warhammer on Wednesday night. Nope. Nope, I didn't. Uh, my my three little girls had a ballet recital, and I went to that instead because I'm a good father. No matter what you say, I am a good father. Um, I You know what? This is a funny little anecdote. I legitimately saw... This is a two-hour ballet thing, right? I saw a guy that was about six seats from me in the row in front of me drinking a bottle of beer I'm, I am not exaggerated I am not lying to you it was a green bottle of beer I don't know if it was Heineken or one of those I don't I didn't really see the label but it was not like a you know oh an IBC glass bottle of beer no it was a green bottle of beer um but anyway I thought that was pretty funny he had to make it through somehow you know we all have to do what we can to make it through but um anyway so I missed out on Warhammer last week because of that what I have been doing, though, is um, I have been assembling... I bought 15 sets of Pegasus uh, buildings for Shorehammer 2020, and I have been assembling those feverishly, and uh, they go to go, they go together pretty well, honestly, but, man, it's boring. They're just... I can't say they're boring buildings because they're all uniform, and, and they look fine for their price. I mean, they're honestly Pegasus Hobbies um, ruins and the uh, large building are by far the best-priced, um, most utilitarian buildings you can buy that are plastic, and um, they're super durable. They're super... You know, you don't have to glue them together. They're all modular. I, I really can't say enough good about them because they're amazing. Um, so I have bought the equivalent of... If I stacked every single set that I 
bought, I think it would make a 15 foot tall building. Uh, just a single, you know, uh, I guess six inch by six inch building or eight inch by eight inch building. And it would be 15 feet tall in the air. So, uh, that's pretty cool. We, uh, wanted a little bit more center terrain that was a little more, um, uh, you know, uniform for the very centerpiece of each, uh, tournament table. And that's what we got. So I'm excited about that. And, um, I'm even making, so here's a little bit of backstory behind the whole tournament scene is that I'm slowly, uh, cutting out all the terrain that's like handmade and foam and all that stuff. And I'm only using terrain that is very durable and can stack well, et cetera, et cetera, because of Shorehammer. Because we have, it's so much extra work to have all of these like foam board buildings and whatnot um, to transport. And the foam board buildings can't be stacked on each other because they'll scrape, you know, the paint off or the texture or whatever. And they're just such a bitch. So instead, uh, I am going to not be bringing my centerpiece big um, buildings next year. I'm going to have all these buildings. And all these buildings are designed that I only glued them in one level L's so that I can make two L's to make a building and they're only one level high because the halos boxes, the little pallets that oranges come in that I use for all my terrain, um, which of course stack well and they fit on my shelves and all that. Well, the, um, if two floors of these buildings will not sit in a halo flat, you know, um, they would be what we call a topper box where no other box can be set on top of them. And topper boxes, of course, you want to limit because you want to be able to stack as high as possible in transport or whatever. Um, so you want the options to always stack on onto the, each pallet. So I have made them, if I am gluing them into L's and they are all glued the exact same way. So that, um, like I'm taking all the solid pieces to make the bottoms, you know, and adding the door and whatnot. And, uh... What I'm very, very pleased with myself about is that I can probably stack all 15 sets in one pallet once I'm all said and done. I've only assembled seven of the 15 sets, so i got to wait and see. It might take two pallets, but I can definitely store a shit ton of terrain in these pallets because they're all L-shaped. They're all going to fit inside each other and lock in, so it's going to be amazing for transport. And um, But also, you know, you need floors for these buildings. And if you were to glue floors into these buildings, then uh, you got a problem because the L-shaped walls won't slide inside of each other for storage. So what I've done is I bought a bunch of plastic card from Litco Gaming, and um, I am making plastic card floors that fit in the corners of each of these ruins, but they're not being glued in. They're thin enough, being plastic card, that they will fit between the two levels when they peg together, and... Uh, it's it's pretty awesome actually. I've I've made a template and I'm cutting these out of plastic card, and it works beautifully. So all I have left to do is paint this stuff, and we are already set for um roughly I don't know 15 more centerpieces for next year. So I'm very very excited about it. Other than that, uh, we just started a new campaign for Dungeons and Dragons, and um it is set in the brutality skirmish war game universe like my previous ones were. I love it. Uh, the last one took place in the Ashlands and the Blur and the Psychotropics. Sorry, Sarp Psychotropics. Uh, this one is going to be um, up in the Great White North, which uh, is, is pretty exciting. So uh, that is about it. I guess I'll quit droning on and let you get to the show. Toodles. Let's open the Tesseract Mailbox. 
Hey boys and girls, it's time for another Tesseract Mailbox, and today we have a doozy of a Tesseract Mailbox. This came to me via pimpcron at gmail.com, and he writes, Hey Pimpcron, this is Andrew from Texas. Love the show, and you were giving me bad flashbacks while I was listening to your story about losing the trophies for your convention. I have a very similar situation that has haunted me for over a decade. I bought this present for my then-girlfriend, now wife, and had it hidden in my good jacket pocket. We lived together, and I didn't want her to find it in the laundry or in my drawers or somewhere in the house. She's a compulsive cleaner, which is nice in a spouse, but not so much when you're hiding something. Anyway, we were going on vacation, and it was special because it was our three-year dating anniversary, and we were going back to the place where we met. I had that gift in my pocket. I didn't happen to check my coat pocket because she'd never look there, and we didn't have kids. Nobody would touch my jacket. It was the only safe place. When we were packing, I packed the jacket and felt for the bulge in the pocket. There it was. Stupid me, I didn't open the pocket and look. We were on vacation, the time is right, I get on one knee, and she starts crying. I reach in my pocket and pull out a box of Tic Tacs. Not my engagement ring. (laughs) I can tell you, she is a very understanding lady. I had to explain that I must have left the ring in my other jacket mortified I was. I spent the rest of the vacation worried sick that I had lost the engagement ring. I couldn't wait to come home and search for it. It was right there, in the pocket of my golfing jacket. I have no recollection of why I would have put it in there, or when I did it. Needless to say, we got married, but that is a similar situation. Haha, Andrew. Okay, Andrew, number one, that's a pretty good story. Number two, thank you for writing in, and number three, I would kind of say that your situation was slightly more dramatic than mine um i mean they're both embarrassing and whatnot but yours i mean that's a pretty big life situation a big moment in your life of you know everybody likes to tell the story of how they got engaged or how you proposed or whatever and that's pretty funny actually that's one for the record books i'd say you tried to propose to your wife with a box of tic tacs so i could see why you would do that um And, uh, but, you know, needless to say, I do, I do see a similarity in there in somewhat, even though yours is a much better story than mine, but, um, I do see a similarity in that because I am legitimately traumatized by the whole trophy thing. Um, I have had two separate nightmares about losing the trophies or not finding the trophies. And matter of fact, the other night, Um, the other night my daughter was, um, my six-year-old was, uh, scared. So she got in bed with me and my wife. And, uh, this was obviously in the middle of the night. And I woke up in the middle of the night from a dream. And I had a dream that my six-year-old went to bed with two, this is not going to make any sense, but two action figures that were very important to Shorehammer, like they were trophies or something. And I had to have those two action figures. And I woke up in the middle of the night, I got out of bed, um, I searched where my daughter was sleeping for the action figure slash trophies, couldn't find it. Um, our bed is up against the wall, so I, I looked between the bed and the wall, couldn't find it. I got up, I got my flashlight, and I was looking under our bed for these trophies slash action figures. And my wife wakes up, she's like, what are you doing? And I it's one of those things where you don't realize how stupid it sounds until you start saying it out loud. And I'm like, Oh, well I'm looking for the, uh, trophy action figures that my 
daughter had that I think she lost. And as I'm saying that, I suddenly felt very embarrassed. And I'm like, wait a second. And I even told my wife this. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, go back to bed. So, uh, yeah, I, I've, I have had two separate nightmares. I don't remember what the other one was, but I remember remember searching in my dream for the trophies. Um, so needless to say, I will make good note of where the trophies are next year, because that is something that sticks with you. Admittedly, yours is much more traumatic, and I I feel for you greatly in the moment that you get on one knee and pull out a box of Tic Tacs. You know, I'm sure other people were probably looking at you if you were not in private, if you're in a restaurant or something like that. And that is just a nightmare scenario, frankly, Andrew. Um, anyway, I appreciate you sharing with us, and that's definitely an interesting story. So. You guys can reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com, and you can reach me at facebook.com slash pimpcron, and you need to do that or call on the show. The show is uh, that phone number I never remember, and nobody ever calls, so uh, somebody call that. Later. Want that or want that not? Well, boys and girls, it's time for Want That or Want That Not with The Pimpcron, and today we are reviewing Da Red Gabo. This is an adorable model being put out by GW. He is 35, good lord, 35 freaking dollars for this model. Okay, whatever, GW. Um, Da Red Gabo is essentially a grot dressed up vaguely like Santa Claus. He's got a pistol, he's standing on some loot crates, and he has a stick that is just a little bit of a tree with two ornaments and a uh, star on top. He even has a um, Christmas ball earring, which is pretty adorable. And the model itself is very characterful. Is that a word? Characterful? He's very cool looking. Um, it's, you know, Santa-esque. Of course, you could not paint him in, in Christmas colors, but what are you, dumb? Uh, yes, you want to paint him in Christmas colors. Uh, he is, I mean, I don't know what his rules are. I, I hear that he's getting rules in Necromunda or Kill Teams, one of those. But, um, he's just adorable. It's completely, Christmas is one of my very favorite holidays ever. And, uh, he's adorable. So you should probably pick him up. $35 for this, to me, is a, is a bit much. Um... Honestly, I'd be more interested if he was not so Christmas-oriented, but that's fine. Um, he's actually a pretty cool-looking Grot leader. I have a complete army of Grots, which I have not played in over a year. I need to just go ahead and play my Grot army, because uh, this kind of inspires me to do so. But the the Grot, the uh, the Red Gobbo, the Red Gobbo, I apologize for my uh, di- di- dialect here. Um, I would say it's definitely a want that for me. Uh, $35 is a bit steep, but, uh, if you can somehow get a discount on that or something like that, cause he's just, he's just so darn cute to red Gabo. Um, he comes with a candy cane, uh, pistol or custom shooter slugger, whatever that is. He comes with a bag of, um, grenades that's behind him. He also comes with a, appears to be a candy cane painted uh, stick of dynamite in his pocket. He's just he's just plain adorable, so you should get him. But here's what's interesting. I did not know who Dered Gabo was, right? And apparently, he is an existing character. 
the uh, Warhammer community did an article on this, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Apparently, he appeared way back in the late 90s. He was a, a leader of a band of rebel grots in the game Gorkamorka, which is that racing game that they came up with. And um, he's a, you know, he's a revolutionary, and of course, grots don't normally lead things, but he did. And uh, he had a signature red overcoat, a custom slugga, and a scepter. Um, and that's the way he ran things. Now, he was not Christmas themed back then. He was just red overcoat, I guess, because of the the whole communist thing. Uh, it was called, uh, was it De Revolution? Of course, it was spelled stupidly because they're orcs, hardy har har. And uh, also the Gretchen Revolutionary Committee or the GRC or just the committee, all spelled funky. And he actually, I really don't like this old model. Uh, he had a, um, I don't know if he had a model or not because they don't show that, but they got a, a picture of him painted in that famous uh, 90s style and uh, not not really a fan of anything what he's wearing here. He's got skulls and whatnot and chains and this spiky whatever. But he's not Christmas. The point behind this is he's not Christmas themed literally at all. He just had a red overcoat. So what they've done is they've uh, taken that idea and apparently, according to them, he's had a cult following for 20 years. Okay, whatever, GW. Never heard of it before, and I've been playing for a decade. But but, but just whatever. We'll just, we'll just let that go. Um, according to them, he rises again because he is one of many the Red Gobos. Whenever one dies, whenever one dies, not when everyone dies. Whenever one dies, another one will take up that mantle. This one just happens to be Christmas-themed, and... Um, I don't, I guess this is just one of those fun projects they do that they just, you know, they think it's a hoot. I don't know in any way how it's related to Gorkamorka. I don't know how in any way it's related to um, the original Dered Gabo because they don't look anything alike. And I honestly don't know why it's Christmas themed. <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. I really don't get it. But it's a fun little model, if not overpriced. and. It's pretty cute. So you got a twofer on the segment. You got a little bit of a history lesson that he's actually an existing character from Gorkamorka. And you also got to find out that he's pretty cute. So you should get him. I mean, it would be adorable. Buy him and change his gun. Make him a Vindicare assassin or something. Just just do whatever, dude. Um, but like I said, I've got a soft spot for Gretchen. And I've got a soft spot for Christmas. So this was basically just a like an auto want that uh let's just see if i can get a discount or get it cheaper or something elsewhere but that's an automatic want that for me go buy one now it's time for real talk with pimp cron hey sports fans did you ever wonder why spray painting messes up sometimes have you ever wondered exactly what it is in the air that creates all the issues for when you're priming or spray painting in general, but mostly priming. That's what we use it for in this hobby. Well, I did some digging, and I had a couple questions. What exactly is primer compared to paint? What makes primer special? Um, is primer just a regular paint, or is primer actually a thing? Because you constantly hear, oh, you need to prime something before you paint it. Well, is primer not just paint? I don't understand why primer would be different from paint. 
that you also run into other things when you're trying to prime models, and that would be, you know, temperature fluctuations, or the paint is too cold, or the humidity is too high, or the humidity is too low, or whatnot. So, after some digging, here is what I have discovered. The first question I had is, what exactly is primer versus what is paint? So, this is coming from buildopedia.com, and they say that without getting too technical, the basic difference between paint and primer is that of resins versus pigments. The resins contained in primers seal porous surfaces and provide the bond to the surface. This is primer's most basic function to provide a sealed, bonded, stable surface on which to apply your top coat. Paints contain pigments which, in addition to providing color, they also provide what is called hide in the paint world, where it will hide um, issues underneath of it. Oftentimes it's also referring to things on the wall, like stains on a wall. Um, depending on the pigment density, it has a certain amount of hide. It also um, gives paints the durability to withstand the elements. That's also what pigment does. Each function of a primer, and every characteristic of a finish, requires a different chemical formulation. When you are using primer to prime a model, you are physically using resins in the primer, which of course is paint, but it's paint with resins and less pigment. The resins are actually bonding and creating a shell that is conducive to the paint sticking to it. So for instance, let's go extreme and say you're painting a metal model. A metal model is not a very good surface for our paint to stick to. So what you need to do is you need to get a substance, such as a primer, that will literally bond and glue itself to the surface. Paint is really, I mean, sure it sticks to a surface, but paint doesn't bond to a surface as much as primer does. And the reason why is paint does not have resin in it. If you guys are at all familiar with resin, you know, um, you can make molds with resin. Um, it's oftentimes resins are like two-part resins, similar to two-part epoxies where you mix two things together and whatnot. But the resins in primers, as far as I can tell, are air hardening resins and not the, you know, part A, part B, mix them together type of resins. So that was interesting. A lot of applications have, uh, that need primers are like masonry if you're painting concrete or you're painting wood or a super porous surface. Um, if you've ever painted anything with regular paint and it was a porous surface, such as wood or um, even concrete, or even drywall without paint, uh, without primer underneath it, you will notice that it soaks it right up. Anybody who's ever tried to paint molding, like uh, molding around a door or a window, if there's any knot um, in the wood there, you will see that through the paint. And what's amazing is you will paint over it, it will look like it's gone, and when it dries, it sunks, sinks right into that knot. And you keep seeing this... Uh, ultimately fainter and fainter not in this paint, but you go over it and over it and over it. Now, if you prime it, what happens is, is the primer doesn't sink into the wood the way the paint does because of the resins. It bonds to the surface of it. So like I said, it's especially good for porous materials. Our paint, I mean, our models are not necessarily porous materials. In fact, it's the opposite. They're very slick materials. Plastic is very hard for paint to stick to without primer because it needs that bond underneath, and metal is especially slick, and that needs that primer underneath to bond to it with the resin reaction. 
Now, um, of course, you know, it's very hard to find any information about this as far as actual model painting. So I've had to look up car painting. I've had to look up um, like do-it-yourself um, furniture painting. I've had to look up uh, uh, masonry painting and wall painting and several different articles to essentially formulate exactly what this situation is. But I did never know that resins are the difference between primer and regular paint. The issue, though, is that resins oftentimes um, end up being thicker than regular paint. And I think you can see that. When you use any of the brush-on primers, now spray paint primer you won't notice because you're spraying it on, but if you ever use a brush-on primer, it is a little thicker than your normal paints. And of course, you know the old, oh, thin your paints, thin your paints. Well, you do honestly want a thinner rather than thicker paint when you're painting the details. But as far as a primer... It's kind of like uh, when people used to paint with the old enamels, the old testers enamel paints, they're extremely thick. The difference is, is those enamel paints are extremely durable, too. Um, I don't know if you had to prime under them or not, but I do know that those paints are way more durable than the acrylics that we use. But it is also much, much, much thicker, and you can't get the degree of detail that you want out of it. So that's pretty much the gist between primer and paint and why do we do it. Now here is actually something that's pretty interesting. I looked online far and wide to decide, do we need to prime our models? And by and large, the, sen the consensus that I have found online is not through miniature painters, but through everything else. They say metal, you absolutely have to prime. And plastic, it depends on how porous it is. Now, of course, some things like, um, you can actually tell if the plastic is very glossy, it's usually not very porous at all, and you definitely need to use primer. Um, if the, the terrain is, or the model is duller, a lot of times it's got tiny, tiny microscopic, um, you know, it's not a, a hardened, cohesive surface. It's got little holes in it, and the paint should apply to that just fine. But ultimately, I don't risk it because you want that resin bond underneath your paint and who wants to spend all this time painting a model and then just accidentally rub the paint off with your hand you, you don't want to do that after it's dried so it's best to just use primer but it's interesting that the consensus that I found online is that it doesn't always have to use primer but I think it's one of those safe than sorry situations now we've also ran into the issues of different humidities and different temperatures so let's see what the um i can't believe i'm doing a whole episode on on primer <laughs> but hopefully you'll like this hopefully you're not bored to death uh so anyway <laughs> i actually thought it was really interesting so you know what so sue me all right so this is um smartfog.com and this is spray painting and humidity what you should know okay so it says Relative humidity, you know, you see on the temperature, you know, the forecast or whatever it says, the humidity. Well, relative humidity is the percentage of moisture vapor in the air to the amount needed for total saturation. If the relative humidity is 33%, for instance, the air is roughly one third full of moisture in the air. If the relative humidity is 100%, the air is completely saturated to the point where it can hold no more moisture. So essentially, a rain cloud that begins raining has reached 100% humidity. That, that section of air right there is so saturated that literally it is raining saturation um, 
out of the raining precipitation, I mean, out of that cloud because it is beyond 100% humidity. You understand? Um, of course, this can also be changed when, um, you know, through condensation and whatnot. But ultimately, humidity is when, uh, if you've ever been in a house and the humidity was high, let's say your air conditioning wasn't working and you're getting up to like 70, 80, 90% humidity in the summer if you live in a humid region, uh, you can tell the the entire air feels like it's heavy. You know, if you walk out, like especially living in the mid-Atlantic region, we have very humid summers where, you know, it might be 95 degrees here, but it feels like 110 because the humidity is so high that the moisture does not evaporate off of your skin. It can't because the atmosphere is so full of moisture that it can't be removed. Now, of course, another little sciencey thing we can discuss here is that Everything in nature wants to be the same. Everything wants to be equal. So, for instance, um, if you have, uh, oh, if you put, so if you have two glasses of water, let's say, one is super high salt and one is no salt at all, right? And if you mix them, they want to be the same. They want to mix into a diluted yet equal amount. It's not like the the salt water and the regular water, you're going to pour them into the same bucket and they don't mix because, oh, this is really salty. This is really no salt. No, what's going to do is it's going to mix and become the same salinity because everything wants to be the same, essentially. So it's the same thing for the air. The air, when anything dries, whether it be your sweat off your skin or the primer off your model, it depends on the relative humidity in your area, whether or not it dries at all, or how fast it dries. So, um, there's many employees who work in jobs that require them to use spray paint. So they they know to pay close attention to these numbers um, of relative humidity. And a lot of these places that like spray paint cars and things like that, they actually will have humidifiers or dehumidifiers or both to maintain a really a medium level of humidity. And that's interesting because, once again, it depends on how fast or slow things dry is the humidity around it. So while each and every scenario is different, spray painting is typically done in the environments with relatively uh, relative humidity of 40 to 50%. That's your ideal range. Okay, you can do it in 60%, let's say, but it really depends on your certain situation. So ideally, you want around 40 to 50%. You would want to err on the side of slightly less humid than slightly more humid. When the relative humidity level drops below 30%, problems begin to arise, one of which is the simple fact that paint dries increasingly fast at this level. Because once again, remember, you are putting a very wet model in air that is very dry. So it's going to dry lightning fast because the air around it is like, oh crap, I want to be just as wet as that model is, or at least reach some sort of balance because life is like that. Uh, physics and nature and everything is like that. So it will sap the moisture right out of that model very quickly. Um, 
So you have to remember that the speed at which paint dries is directly influenced to the level of airborne mo moisture vapor available. When there's not enough moisture vapor in the air, the paint will evaporate into the air in an attempt to create a balanced atmosphere. This can pose serious problems for workers who are trying to create an even, consistent spray paint job. So sometimes, and I have not been able to pinpoint exactly which one of these scenarios does it, whether it's the high humidity or it's the low humidity. Because I always hear people talk about, oh, you don't want to spray paint in a high humidity atmosphere. Okay, sure, but you also don't want your stuff to dry lightning fast either. Because that can also, actually can undermine your primer and make it so that it doesn't adhere to the models completely. Um, but this popcorn effect that I'm actually looking at, um, I had a hard time discovering whether or not that was high humidity or low humidity. Um, you may have spray painted a, uh, a model and you, a lot of times people I see on Facebook, they blame the spray paint. Like, oh, this is bad spray paint. And of course, that's always a, a possibility. But more than likely, the conditions in which you were spray painting were not the proper conditions. So, so just like low humidity... High humidity can be equally as problematic for workers attempting to spray paint a surface. As the humidity rises, it will take longer and longer for paint to dry, because it doesn't need to pull it out of that model. It's got plenty of its own humidity. And if the humidity is super high, paint may never dry, which of course is a serious problem for businesses that perform spray paint services. If if the paint never dries, then you can't ship the item or finish the house or whatever. So a good rule of thumb is to maintain between 40% and 50% relative humidity in the area when you intend to spray paint. This is a stable environment that's not too dry, but not overly saturated either. That is what I learned from this website. Okay. Now, I re referred to another website, which is allthingsthrifty.com, and they're specifically talking about um, painting furniture and refurbishing furniture and stuff, but I believe this still applies to models. Um, their topic was, why does spray paint bubble at times? And I'm curious what they mean exactly by bubbling, because um, I believe the popcorn effect that you can get when your models get really crusty, I think that might be what they're talking about bubbling. It's just that the model is so small, bubbles end up being solid and not, you know, full of air. But let's see. So this lady says she's been getting this question a lot lately, and she can only guess why the paint is bubbling based on the problems that she's had in the past and why it bubbled. So number one, if it's too cold, you need the spray paint between about 60 degrees and 85 degrees, especially if it's quote-unquote freezing weather. Your paint could literally freeze when it hits the cold air. Um, I have seen this on many occasions, she claims. So, you know, once again, you want your humidity in the middle, you want your temperature in the middle. You don't want terrible extremes. Now, admittedly, it's weird. I guess at the at the very bottom of this, I will discuss my experiences because maybe I'm a little uh, reckless, but I've gotten a lot of, uh, gotten away with a lot and I'm not certain why. So, Number two, she says, if it's too hot, so too cold is an issue, too hot is also an issue. If the weather is too hot, then the paint tends to dry too fast. If this is the case, it can bubble up also. Um, you should also not spray paint directly in the beating sun, especially in the summer, or your paint will bubble right up. Number three, your coats are too thick. If there's too much paint on the surface when it dries, it can cause it to bubble. Number four, you are using a cheap spray paint, around a dollar a can. This type of spray paint is much more apt to bubble. And finally, number five, which should not be an issue for any of us, but if your P 
piece that you're painting is not clean and dry. Um, now, something that many new hobbyists are unaware of in the model hobby is that any sort of casting, whether it be spin casting or um, you know one-sided casting, two-sided casting, injection molding, any of that, uh, metal casting, they all use um, what's it called? It's called releasing agent. So I used to do some um, when I spoke with a mad robot. Uh, guy a couple months ago, we discussed that I used to actually do resin casting for special objective markers and whatnot, and that's the same type of resin casting he does. And we both have experience with the mold release agent, so no matter what you're molding, no matter it's plastic, metal, resin, whatever, usually you want to use mold release agent. And usually what that is, is it's some sort of oily, slippery mixture that um, doesn't really affect the actual model as far as the impression that it makes from the mold, but it does allow it to be popped out of the mold easily. Because the last thing you want is, like in the case of um, our resin molds, we were using the Umu, the rubber molds. You especially don't want them to get stuck in the rubber molds because then you end up tearing your molds if you don't have mold release agent on it. So what I used to have is a like a little spritzer bottle of this, it was just cold mold release agent, and you spray it in there before you pour your resin in there for casting. Now, if you got like puddles of the stuff in there, yes, it could interfere with the model, but generally, if it's just a thin coat, you know, it, it doesn't do that. So, GW or Forge World or any of them could possibly have mold release agent on the models when you buy them. So, any of the hobby things usually suggest that you. Um, wash off with so hot soap and water any resin or any plastic um, models that you buy. And now I never do that. I guess I'm a bad example. I never do that, but um, I have had some resin models in the past that still had some mold release agent and I had to clean those. I know that when Bliggity Blam Steve bought the um, Zone Mortalis from GW, um, all those resin pieces had a ton of mold release agent on them. So, uh, ultimately, it's just for the model-making person, the molder, that they want um, to be able to pop their, their models out very easily and not tear up their mold. Or, in the case of a hard mold, they want to be able to take the model out and it not be fused to the actual cast. So, um, you also need to wash off your models and make sure they're not slippery so that your primer can adhere to the surface. As far as drying too fast, people say that you don't want the primer to dry too fast. Um, I have found that if my primer dries far too fast, whether it's very, very hot outside, so the, the actual heat dries it fast, or if the humidity is very low and it like flash cures the primer, it is, um, it almost can be like a dusty, um, finish. So you can actually take the model and you can rub it with your fingers and you'll get, I always prime with black, uh, because I'm not an idiot. And I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I always prime with black, so I pick up the model, and if you can rub your thumb on it and get some darkness off the model, you know that it dried too fast, and you may want to maybe strip it or take a toothbrush to it or knock off that outer layer, because what's going to happen is the primer is essentially the underwear of your paint. The paint is your clothing, and the primer is the underwear. It's the surface... Um, between the thing that you're covering, which is your body, and the outer layer. If your primer is loose in any way, it's like having a bad foundation for your building. 
Um, how many more analogies can I throw into this? Um, if the primer is loose in any way, the paint is going to attach to the primer, and the primer is not nailed down, essentially, so it's going to peel right off, and that's definitely when you get flaking and things like that in your models. So hopefully I have not bored you to tears. I've been super fascinated in all this research to find exactly what primer is and how does it work and how does it interact with things and uh, stuff like that. Uh, oh, one other thing is when my primer has dried far too fast, I can also get a chalky look to it. Instead of a black primer, I get like a dark gray look to it. And usually that's my first inclination that I can rub off the top layer of it. And then you, you're just going to have a bad time. That's what you're going to have. Anyway, that's it.